Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 9th, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 11, and we are at page 155, the second paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Nancy H., for the 12 Traditions, Esther F., reading the text are Harlan G., Katie G., and Craig F. The reference number for Sunday, October 8th, is 10515. That's 10,515. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Nancy H., a recovering compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the privilege of reading. Pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F. from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 
five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 155, paragraph two. I will ask Carlin G to begin reading. Carlin, press star one to unmute. Okay, here you are. Thank you, Katie. I I can be heard now, I assume? Yes. Hello? Okay, thanks. Thanks, Katie, for your service, and thank you to Team Monday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he had made his livelihood. He would do anything, he said, but that. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend to his home. Some time later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. One morning, he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that many knew of his drinking.
stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. At midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community. And the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. Well, this is the story, of course, of Dr. Bob. And, you know, we get the impression when we first came in that Bill met Bob, and from Bill and Bob squirted out of their ears the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. That is not true. Bill met Bob on Mother's Day, 1935. And Bob didn't get his sobriety until June the 10th, 1935. What happened in the interim? Bill explained to Bob, although Bob had been in the Oxford group longer than Bill, Bill explained to Bob the, nece the necessity of the vital spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Now, Bill had a spiritual experience, but most of us will have, like me, if you're anything like me, a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening is just slower. But he also explained to Bob the necessity of doing the program in its entirety, and he told him, you're going to have to surrender. And Bob was afraid to surrender. He gets sober on Mother's Day, May 13, 1935, but goes to a medical convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and drinks his head off, comes home on the 8th, and he has a, a surgery scheduled on the 10th. He must do this surgery. He was the only one qualified at that hospital to do that. He was a proctologist, and he needed the money. Bill gets him sober, gives him a drink the morning of the surgery, and tells him he'll meet him when the surgery is over. Hours and hours and hours and hours go by. No Bob. 11.45 p.m. Bob has just come off a horrible drunk in Atlantic City. He's coming down Ardmore Street in Akron, Ohio, sober. What changed? He decided to make his amends to the people. And so many of us, without step 10, will not do step 9 because we're afraid of the reactions of the people. We're afraid of the consequences. But if we've got two and 10 behind us, and we don't, we don't start 10 when we finish nine, we start 10 when we start nine. That way we can neutralize those emotions and therefore that we can do these amends. And Dr. Bob and Bill, after that, knew that they had something. But it wasn't until Bob gave himself completely to this program and did the work necessary that he was able to maintain his sobriety. And Dr. Bob never drank again, and, and he died in November of 1950, and he died with 15 years of sobriety. I must give myself completely to this program. There are four impediments to God that Sam Shoemaker taught the Oxford group boys. Number one, a resentment I will not let go of. Number two, a secret I will not tell. Number three, a dubious, uh, uh, excuse me, a vicarious thrill that I will not stop, stealing, lying, gossiping, and a restitution that I will not make. And when Bob made his restitution, 
except for a few thoughts of drink, he never found it necessary to drink throughout the rest of his life and help thousands and thousands of alcoholics medically without thought of charge. And then we have the fellowship that we have. And thank God for these steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Harlan. Okay, we're on page 155, starting with the second paragraph. And we read through four paragraphs. We'll, we'll uh, have our focus be on this. Three last paragraphs. Who would like to share? This is Larry. Larry. Yes, R. Larry K. Okay, I have Matt M, Larry K, Nessa, R, Bob. Anybody else? Anybody else before we... Jamie H. from Jessup, Georgia. Jamie H. Larry. I got you, Larry. Okay, I have Matt M, Larry K, Nessa R, Bob, I don't know his initial, and Vasa Jamie o. H, and Vasa O. Okay, let's go with those five, six, can't count. Okay, go ahead, Matt M. Star one to unmute, please. Okay, here, here you are, go ahead. Thank you, Katie, for your service. This is Madam Compulsive Eater from New Jersey. It's amazing what Dr. Bob and what Bill did for Dr. Bob. And I, I'm just as stubborn as Dr. Bob was. I didn't want to concede to the innermost stuff that I was alcoholic. Um, I've had some wonderful sprees lately, and you know what? It's because of my own, my own um, unwillingness to change. And um, I'm seeing here now how he went and did that last drunk in Atlantic City. I, I had one recently, and... Uh, at a buffet of all places. I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? This is like me going to a bar if I was an alcoholic. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I go here? And I realized, because, you know, I really don't have any control whatsoever over my ability to take in food. I have to stay away from certain places, including certain restaurants. I don't want to have to stay away from my friends, but I have to stay away from certain places to eat. So I realized that I have to do that now so I can save the money I have left, because I'm telling you, not only do I eat, I also burn through my money like a sieve like water through a sieve. So, you know, um, I'm done making the rounds of people. Um, I want to be able to go back through my life and, and, and try to make the wrongs I did right and try to make some restitution on my life. And to do that, I have to get put the food down. And I'm grateful I can start. I feel like I can do that today, one day at a time. And I'm going to start taking a food journal and writing my food down and also calling my sponsor like I should be regularly. I call him every other day instead of every day. So I'm going to call him today and uh, start working the program with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Nessa R. Thanks, Katie. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, good. Thanks so much. Larry Kay, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, I, I love when Harlan shares about that, the historical perspective there, and gives the details. And by way, way of metaphor, I want to use the idea of a computer you know, we, we all own a computer, um, and it, let's say the computer has a virus. In other words, it, it came off the assembly line with everything it needed, but it's not operating properly, see, because it came into contact with some faulty information, and that's like you and me. We came off the assembly line with everything we needed to, to be successful in this world to survive, but we, we came in contact with some faulty information and we're not operating the way we are intended to operate. And in this program, see what Dr. Bob did is 
you know, the program, we're, we're taking our minds and our hearts, which came into contact with some faulty information. Dr. Bob came into contact with some faulty information. You and I did, Bill did. And we're being sent back to the factory. We're, we're, we're going, you know, we need a professional to get this all worked out. Now, if my computer had a virus and I sent it to a professional to be fixed, I would really, really miss my computer. And I would probably have to use my support system as Dr. Bob used Bill and others to, uh, you know, while it was getting fixed. And, you know, by the grace of God, I have a lot of people, a great support system, a lot of people who love me. So part of the support system are people, your sponsor and others you meet at meetings on this line that empathize with you. Wow, man, you know, that's really tough being without your computer. Or maybe a buddy will say, you know, come on over, go ahead and use my computer for a while. But can we all agree that the support system is not how the computer will get fixed? So no matter how much my friend, my friends on the line empathize with me, my sponsor empathizes with me, Bill really, really supports Dr. Bob, no matter how much that empathy comes through, my computer's not going to get fixed because actions, the computer's going to be fixed if actions are taken. Two separate things, right? The support system, my sponsor, the friends I call and program all support me while the actions are being taken to be restored. But once Bob was ready to take the action, he became restored to sanity. Same thing with you and I. We need to, the support system, what we call fellowship, the program of action is what we call the steps. The fellowship and the program of action are not the same thing. The empathy, not the same thing. I need to work the steps. And that's once Dr. Bob did, the rest is history, right? We're on the line this morning. Thank God for these steps and these actions. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Nessa R, you're up, followed by Bob B. Thank you. Um, good morning, a vision for you. This is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So this line really spoke to me um, today. Um, uh, oh, I just how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. So we're in the midst of a, of a Jewish um, um, holiday festival, and I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, because I, um, I used to do most of my eating in private, in secret, and in hiding, and hoping that people wouldn't find out um, how I thought about food, what I did with food, etc., notwithstanding the fact that it was plainly evident to everybody because of my obese body <laughs> what it is that I did with food. You know, I went to, to parties, I went to restaurants, I went to people's houses, and I ate like a bird, um, hoping that people would think that that's how I normally ate. Um, and there I was, sitting there, 70 pounds overweight. I mean, who was I fooling except myself? You know, like Dr. Bob, everybody knew he was an alcoholic except for him. And, like, I was just totally deluding myself, not really fooling anyone. And, um, um, you know, of course, I would come home with all that pent-up frustration over hours of sitting um, around looking at people eating what I wanted to eat and not feeling capable of eating it in front of people, and then I would just go all out, you know, like a binge to end all binges. But you know what? Thank you, God, that I don't eat that way anymore. You know, 
I eat every day the exact same way. Um, even on holidays, even on festivals, even when I go to people's houses, even when I go to restaurants, my food doesn't change. Um, you know, I had somebody once ask me uh, if I ever have an unpeaceful meal. And the answer is no, I never have an unpeaceful meal because my meals are always the same. And the reason why I can keep them always the same is not because I'm white knuckling, it's because I don't care. You know, I don't want those things that I used to want. I don't want the volume that I used to want because the way I think has been transformed, you know, has been transformed as a result of these steps. Um, there are outlined in this big book that have, um, you know, opened me up to a new um, sense of even comfort, to a no, new source of even comfort, which is God. I no longer need the food. Um, the paradox, though, is that I had to put the food down first before I could achieve that. You know, and I actually, I, do, I shouldn't even say achieve before I was transformed, you know, by God through my working of the steps. Uh, it is such a miracle, you know, just to go to people's houses and eat the same meal that I eat day in and day out and not even flinch, not even care. Uh, that is the beauty of this uh, transformative process, you know, just put the food down entirely, work the steps with the desperation of a drowning man, and God will transform the thinking uh, to a thinking that we never even thought was possible. I never I'm... thought it was possible. Thank you. Um, you know, to uh, to live differently than the way I used to live, but it's a fact today. It is a fact today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. Bob B., you're up, followed by Jamie H. Can you hear me now? Bob, yes, yes. I can. Thank you. Uh, I'm Bob B. from Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm... Uh, Recovered but not cured, and uh, I'm reminded uh, with this reading of who founded the program. It's Higher Power founded the program. God founded this program, and used uh, Bill and Bob B uh, in that process. And in uh, the humanity of Bill and Bob, something that I need to recall in my own life, uh, and how. Spiritual awakenings occur in different places and different people. And just sharing one of my spiritual experiences uh, in this program was I was in the program for about six years, and I went to a meeting one day. And uh, a woman at the meeting talked about writing a letter to God, which I had done. And then she mentioned something about writing a letter back. And I heard that message, uh, and I have been doing that message for approximately the last 15 years on a daily basis. And that was a spiritual awakening for me because I always thought God was outside of me. I found the spirit inside of me and the connection that I make with my higher power each day gives me guidance. Uh, and I need that guidance because I can't do this program alone. And when I was trying to do it alone uh, or I wasn't abstinent, I had no connection with my higher power because the food was a wall between myself and my higher power. And today I have the awareness that uh, I need to put the food down, work the steps of the program, and rely on my higher power on a daily basis. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Bob. Okay, Jamie H., you're up, followed by Vasa O. 
This is Jamie H. in a hotel room in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm from Jessup, Georgia. Bob speaks about a secret that, that he's afraid somebody will find out and the spiritual experience. I have been, I'm on my first trip through the steps and how do I know I had a vital spiritual experience? This weekend, I got on an airplane to sit, to come visit my most beloved brother. He's been 12 years in AA program. He's the only person in the world that understood my program. I Friday, we had a long conversation about the tinkling ice cubes in one direction and the church directory in the other. He stayed in my hotel room because we had big plans for the next morning. And at 4.30 in the morning, I had a knock on the door from the Marion County Sheriff's Office that my brother had been found outside my hotel room and he couldn't live life anymore. And that secret that he, he was supposed to get married Saturday morning and they called the wedding off. And my first action was to go to my mother's hotel room and tell her. My second was to call my sponsor. And I didn't ever know, did I have that vital spiritual experience until I'm sitting in the floor next to the elevator in a strange hotel on the phone with my sponsor and she says to me, God grant her the serenity to accept the things that she cannot change. I accept the things I cannot change. And I know now, like I've never known, that my program has to be worked every single day. And as I share with my family, which I've never been able to calmly love my family because we're not that kind of family. I heard Harlan say at the conference that he has known people who didn't make it through the program. I thought, how is that possible? And now I know it's very, very possible. The last thing my brother and I did before was to listen to an AA meeting on YouTube. I know he was plugged in. I know he was plugged in. But no one can tell a heart. I can't tell a heart. Thank you for being my family because I could not wait for this meeting to start because I knew that I would find strength for today from this group. And I pass. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Vasa O, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Thank you, Katie, for your service. It's good to be at the meeting. And uh, it's a gift that I have been given that I never thought I would ever reach. I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1986. I had no clue anything about the food addiction. I just knew I could not stop. And I tried to stop so many, so many times in so many years. And I could stop it for a little bit. I always kept on going back. But I, rem- I don't remember feeling 
ashamed of the, my eating habits, but I remember feeling ashamed of my body. And I remember telling my husband every night, you know, when we sit down to eat, I remember saying, oh, I just love to eat. And he would just look at me. I just love to eat. And I live to eat. And he eats to, he just, he's not one of us, so he doesn't understand, you know. And I, I had the gift of desperation, but I, by the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and it just said here, when our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might master could stop his drinking for long, and that was me. I could not stop. I was powerless over the food addiction. And I, a spiritual experience he considered was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know I was a food addict, but I, was, I hid many other things that I was afraid people would find about. So I, again... I was just so ready and I was just so willing to surrender in my desperation. And I did have that spiritual experience the minute, the minute in my bathroom coming from my first meeting. I remember saying to my sponsor, I just don't care. I don't care who I surrender, you know, to my higher power, God, the program, the 12 steps. Because if I don't, I know I am going to die and it was getting progressive for me. It was just going to kill me. And if I did not have that spiritual experience, if I didn't go to my first meeting, if I was not introduced to the 12 steps, being 12 stepped, I, I just, I would be dead today. You know, I'm, it's amazing. I've gone through a lot of difficult times in my life. I've seen, I have seen good and bad things, but I have continued my program. I never left. And there, there are three people, my higher power put three people in the last three or four days for me to speak and share my experience with them. And I'm, 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 I have this nudge. I'll wrap it up. One of them, I'm going to talk to her daughter, and the other one is my neighbor, and then the other one is my, my friend's son. So God is preparing me to pass on the message for the a for the twelve steps. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Who else would like to share? We're on page one fifty five, the last two paragraphs, and the first two paragraphs on one fifty six. Vasa, Craig F. Craig F. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Lauren N. Lauren N. Okay. Lauren N. I got you. Thank you. Okay, let's go with those. Ross M., Craig F., and Lauren N. Good morning. This is Ross M., Postal Reader, outside of Philadelphia. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everyone on this line. Wow. You know, thank you. I don't know where to start. You know, Bill taking Dr. Bob and just taking care of him, getting him through 
so he could get sober. You know, uh, it's just so obvious. If these things don't take place, we're not on the line. I always say stuff like that, but it's it compels me to say that. You know, if I don't have this program, I'll be in bad shape. And it's just, it's, you know, this, this disease of addiction just can wear you down. You have days that are great, days that are terrible, days you don't know what to do, you don't know which way to turn. But this is a pillar of stability in my life because it's bringing me back to God every day. That 10, 10 step is like, that's my uh, security blanket. You know, multiple people on this line have helped me out with that and got me refocused and showed where my selfishness is and where, I, you know, the addiction is the addiction to rust, not to the food or any other drug. You know, the addiction to rust kicks the obsession and the allergy in. You know, thank God for these guys. Thank God he went on that bender. You know, Bill would have never took care of him. And it just made, it compels me to do for others. You know, things are not perfect. I can get on this line and articulate and, you know, pontificate and talk all this baloney while I'm, while I'm crushed inside. But at least I have this program to, to, to navigate through this world because it's really tough. And to hear the people lose their lives to addiction, man, it compels me to get out and just go after people. I know I can't be beating them up and hitting them over the head with the big book, but we got to get to people. This is deadly. It's deadly. And I'm just so grateful for Bill W. and Dr. Bob. And for the men and women that just started, that started this. I have nothing but I don't have this program. I have nothing. And um, you know, I, I think that's about it for me today. You, you guys are awesome, and uh, I'm just grateful that that you guys are here every day. And thank you all for your service. Thank you. That'll pass. Thank you so much, Craig F. You're up, followed by Lauren N. Good morning. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can I be heard? Yes. Oh, good, good. Um, I want to focus on uh, this one uh, little phrase here. It says, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster would stop his drinking for long. A spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary. And there's two words in there. He would stop his drinking for long. In other words, he knew that some amount of willpower was still remaining and he could stop for short periods of time. And and uh, I think that that's kind of an important thing to realize that uh, uh, you know we're I'm powerless over food, um, but when we come to this program, uh, we come desperate uh, usually, or we don't come, and uh, we have to we have to put the food down, uh, not for long, just we have to put the food down because you can't work these steps drunk. You can't work these steps, uh, I, I believe, and get the effective, uh, the deep and effective spiritual experience while you're numbed with food. So you have to put the food down. And and most of us have been granted enough willpower to put it down for, e- even in our cups, we were granted enough willpower to put it down for a period of time, for a short period of time anyway. And And it's important to grab a hold of that period of time 
and get into these steps and work them like our hair's on fire. I hate to be a, a walking cliche, but that's the truth. We we have to get abstinent. We have to get honest. We we have to get busy, and uh, in order to get the spiritual experience, and you know that spiritual experience comes to each of us in a different way. Uh, sometimes it comes to people as a series of epiphanies, and we can mistake the first epiphany for the deep and effective spiritual experience, and and that's not necessarily all of it. You know, uh, sometimes it comes. To us in, in one great white light. I, I wish I could say I got that. Uh, that's a, a, a kind of a, a I don't know, a dream for most of us that God would zap us and that everything would be great and we'd want to do the rest of the work. But but it, it, it doesn't work that way for most of us. For most of us, we have that we have these epiphanies, this growth of the spirit within us. And it happens as our ego is deflated by working the steps, the e- ego deflation process of the steps. And as we have that, then the, then the spiritual experience grows inside us. And, and then we get to 10, 11, and 12, where we, we get to enlarge our spiritual life by, as Bill says, self-sacrifice and working with others on the bottom of 14 and the top of 15. And, and that becomes... Uh, a, a building on that spiritual experience, you know, we enlarging our spiritual life is building on that spiritual experience and growth. And and it's in steps 10, 11, 10 and 11 where the promises of the freedom from food obsession happen. They the uh, not even be tempted. I won't even be tempted. I'll recoil from a hot flame. And and it's because we've done all that work in the meantime, and because we've grabbed a hold of the the little willpower that we have in order to get started and that we've uh, had the epiphanies along the way and we've had the the vital spiritual experience and we've had the ego ego reduction process we submitted to thank you to that ego reduction process that we're able to get there with that i'll pass thanks thank you craig lauren and you're up Good morning, visionaries. Can you hear me? It's Lauren N. Yes, we can. Thank you. Thank you, KDF, for your service. Thank you, everyone on the call. Um, I'm reminded every day how powerless I am over this disease. Thank God I'm reminded of that because when I get reminded of that, I'm able to realize how much I need this fellowship and how wonderful it is when I work it. It gives me so much in return. I'm out in Arizona this weekend visiting my 89-year-old father who's suffering from Parkinson's. And... It has been very hard for me to maintain my connection to the higher power during the day. But thank God for all the work I do, I'm able to hold on to that and to know that this too will end. The sadness or the the pain that I see in his eyes that he is so unaware of, 
because he's unrecovered. And the pain and sorrow I see in his wife's eyes because she's unrecovered. And in the rest of the family that lives out here. And they don't have a problem with food, but they have a problem with other things and other substances. And I am so thankful today I'm in another place that I don't walk around the way I did when I was here last. And when I was here the time before that, and the time before that, when I would search out their goodies, because they didn't have a problem with goodies, so they they had them all throughout the house. I went into the closet where I used to find goodies, and I didn't even look for goodies. I was looking for something for pounds, which is on my food plan. And they didn't have any. But usually I would search through and see what goodies they had. Even if I didn't eat it, I'd search to, just to know it was there. Thank God today I don't have to do that. Yes, I haven't been perfect while I've been here, but thank God I don't beat myself up today because of that. And I get to hear all of you on the line and get to realize that my amends is a daily amends. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Who else would like to share? On We're on the last paragraph on page 55 and the first two paragraphs on page, I mean, 155, and the first two paragraphs on page 156. Lisa B. Dorita P. Julie M. Okay, I heard Lisa B, Dorita P, and Julie M. Leia M. Leia M. Okay, I'll jump in there if there's time. Okay, go ahead, Lisa B, followed by Dorita P. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you so much for your service for everyone that's on the line. Um, the line that speaks out for me on page 156 is, at midnight he came home exhausted. I was exhausted doing my step nine uh, work. and um, But, you know, I, I'm reminded on page 76, it says, um, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. So, um, you know, living a life of self-will, it's the only life I've known. And it's like I've just been in my own sick mind. And I don't really know anything else. And when I got to this point, I did have a little bit of um, balking and hedging. And, you know, but what really helped me was hearing other recovered compulsive overeaters who have done all the 12 steps. You know, they didn't have like a cafeteria-style program where they pick and choose. And they, they stayed abstinent through the whole process of whatever their abstinence was. And they did all the 12 steps. And when I began to work with my, my big book guide and other fellows that did all this work, 
it, it was amazing for me. And just like Bill, you know, he's being a guide to Bob. He's, he's guiding him. He's showing him. He's explained to him all about the mental twist, the spiritual malady, that that vital spiritual experience is necessary, and that this life of self-will and running the show myself, it just doesn't work. And I did see that this is not going anywhere. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse, and then I will die. I might die a spiritual death, an emotional death first before my body dies, but it can be a long, painful process of dying. So there's just two alternatives. So um, I was exhausted doing my amends, but very happy, very happy once it was finished. Some of them were very difficult. And also, you know, that, that prayer um, that on page 76, that's a prayer that this big book is, is sharing with me. It's saying that um, we can ask, which is saying, you know, pray. And I found asking my higher power when I was in this step eight and nine, God, please help me to see how have I harmed others? What, what is it I really need to see here? What did I cause? You know, what damage? And I saw that in my fourth and fifth step. But I really had to commit every day in prayer to this work of being guided. Um, my sponsor is not going to do the work for me and show me, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that. I really needed to see that. Like he said, you know, grab the bull by the horns. I needed to do that, but God had to help me. I needed insight and, of course, direction from other recovered people. It, it's, um, it's a tedious process that every day takes diligence, but I think, knowing to my heart of hearts that this is this is going to kill me and that um I need that uh spiritual surgery that takes place in this in these steps. So with that I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B. Dorita P, you're up, followed by Julie M. Hi, thank you. My name is Dorita P from Cleveland. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Oh excuse me. Uh, so the bottom of uh, 155, top of 156, it says um, he saw that he would have to face his problem squarely that God might give him mastery. Um, yeah, um, there was no getting around. Um, there was no getting around my problems or uh, what I needed to do. Um, Bill. Bill laid out the program of action and related his experience. And um, uh, Dr. Bob just needed to follow that. It was no getting around not doing that. And, um, you know, there was no easier, softer way. And I'm uh, real grateful that um, I faced my problem of compulsive overeating um, squarely. And I try to do that same thing with my other living problems. Um, I can I can have a problem with anger sometimes, but I need to uh, I have to face it, and, and I try to face it. Um, I try not to act out, um, but instead of acting out, I um, I try to sit. I try to pause. This program taught me to pause and then uh, come back to whatever the issue is, you know, after I take a pause. So I'm just really grateful for this program and, and the, um, you know, everything is laid out. Everything is laid out right for us. So I'm really grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Dorita. Julie M., you're up, followed by Leah M. Good morning. This is Julie M., recovered in Meadowlands, Colorado. Um, I want to comment on the line that says, he saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. And for, for me, that means that now when I have problems, and I'm sitting in sadness or pain or anger, whatever it is, I have to face my problems squarely. And that can look different for every situation that I'm dealing with. But the beauty is that I don't turn to food. And I don't really even think about turning to food. I don't think about turning to food. I'm I'm neutral with it. And I just had this realization that, you know, not turning to food is so much better. It's so, I mean, this isn't a new realization, but it's so much better than than being in the food. Um, when I have a problem that I just feeling, sitting in my sadness, reaching out to fellows, um, this program has given me a way to live that I, I wouldn't exchange for anything. And um, my daughter asked me yesterday, she was annoyed, with me for, you know, being on the phone so much and going to so many meetings. And and she said, you know, why do you keep doing this? Why do you do this every day? And I just, I just said, because it works for me. You know, I don't really need to explain it more than that. But it, this program has given me a way of life that I wouldn't exchange. And um, I'm so grateful to the fellowship for everybody that I've met. And when I think about how you know, Bill saved Bob, Bob saved Bill, and they both have saved all of us. I'm just so incredibly, eternally grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Julie M. Leah M., you're up. Thank you very much. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. You know, I didn't understand the exact nature and condition of my disease. I didn't understand that the greater aspect of my disease was the obsession of the mind, that actually the allergy of the body, although it's a bad problem, (laughs) um, that I have a problem much worse than that. And I needed to get that education, and I got that education from the text, I also got that education from someone in whom the problem had been solved who cracked open this text and brought it to life to me, for me, through their personal experience and carried a message of depth and weight. Because I kept treating compulsive overeating with a diet. And treating compulsive overeating with a diet is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. The treatment is not adequate for the condition. I kept getting temporary respite temporary respite, temporary respite. I didn't understand, just like Dr. Bob didn't fully understand, that I was suffering from a spiritual malady and that I couldn't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. Um, there also had to be some action. There had to, it had to be a transformative experience, not just uh, religion, ritual, or psychology. It actually had to be action-oriented um, in order to uh, 
have that personality change, that psychic change that was so necessary because freedom isn't free. Uh, most freedoms are difficult. As Bob was to realize, Dr. Bob was to realize that he had to uh, put aside his fear and his pride and uh, take action. And, you know, I had to do the same thing because it was hard to be free in uh, 1987 when I first came to the real recovery process when I was dragging the events of the 1970s with me couldn't be free under that condition. The program of recovery gave me the steps so that I could get undisturbed, so I no longer needed to seek a substance outside of myself to get comfortable. Because the reality for someone like me is I had a rough time living. I had a real rough time living. But the 12 steps um, brought me to a power so that I no longer needed a substance outside of myself to live comfortably, to live usefully, and to live happily. Because when you're being chased by someone with a loaded gun, it's not the love of running that keeps you moving forward. Um, you know, it's, it's what's behind your back. And, uh, you know, that continues to stay in my mind um, that my choices narrow down to either relying on some power greater than myself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's death. And that was true for me January 19, 1987, and it's true for me today, October 9, 2017. Um, and so, uh, you know, the work continues, but I'm grateful, and I'm wrapping up with this line, he has not had a drink since. Now, that's a statement of hope and possibility. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Is there anyone with a burning desire? Otherwise, I'll take these last two minutes. Okay, um, I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, and I wanted to focus on this line. He came home exhausted but very happy, and he has not had a drink since. And that is the miracle to me of this program is that, yes, it is work. It is not just um, a matter of putting a plug in the jug or a um, lid on the jar or uh, something to stop us from the eating. It is the work that we do to clear up the wreckage of our past. And then we are given this gift of um, the ability to look the world in the eye. And you can't buy that. You can't buy that anywhere. And no amount of weight loss or, um, or no amount of food uh, that might numb me for a while can give me that feeling of being um, completely happy because I am comfortable in my own skin, which is something that I could not seem to muster up on my own. I was never comfortable in my own skin because I did things that I regretted, I said things I regretted, and I um, humiliated myself in the way I ate. And I was restless, irritable, and discontent just most of the time. Most of the time I walked around in that state even though I may have a smile on my face. You may not know it, but I don't walk around that way anymore. And that is a miracle. And with that, I'll pass. And we have come to the end of our time. I want to thank everyone who has shared. I thank uh, Nancy H., Esther F., Harlan G., Katie G., and Craig F. for being available. Um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. 
The share ID for today, October 9th, 2017, is 10526. That's 10,526. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Katie G. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.